0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. It's great to be here. We, we really, we're really honored. And the title of the message today is You should have faith in what God has placed within you. You should have faith in what God has placed within you. So I'm just going to make a a statement up front, and then I'm going to create an image that I'd like you to consider. And you don't have to believe me for starters. I'll I'll bring scripture, and then you can weigh it. And hopefully, by the time you leave, you would consider this um, strongly. Um, As a preposition or a a main statement, I'd like to make this, and I say, as a born-again and a spiritful believer... Everything you need to live a purposeful, God-pleasing, and a God-glorifying, victorious life is already within you. So this is so important. I'll try and I'll explain this in this way. My experience as a leader and also somebody that walked this journey in Christ for 42 years, I think, is that there is oftentimes... A position where Christians find themselves. They are more transactional with God than relational. And I'll explain it like this. So, oftentimes, we picture God's glory, God's blessing, God's everything for us somewhere in the sky. We call it heaven. And then we have to act just right, believe just right, do just right. And then God will allow us to access that and then his glory will come. I want to present this to you as an incorrect picture. I want to present to you today that everything God has ever going to give you, what is already done for you and will do in future. As a matter of fact, before the foundation of the earth, God has placed that within you. He's already transacted 2,000 years ago. You have to walk it out. So when we sang the song this morning, let heaven come. Because we are taught to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have this idea that heaven should come from the sky down to us. But I want to present to you that the heaven, the kingdom of God is already within you. So when you sing, let heaven come, let God's glory be released. Don't picture it falling from the sky. Picture it coming out of you. Very important. So God's goodness is God's glory. And God's goodness within you is his glory. And when he says he will fill the earth with his glory. And when he sees his kingdom come, God wants to unlock what's already within you. That's why what I share today is critically and vitally and fundamentally important. So obviously when I was invited, I had to consider what I would share. And this is Something the Lord taught me last year, and I've been ministering on this because this is important to understand. So that is sort of the preposition. So let us just build the message this morning then. And I'm going to read two scriptures as foundational, and then we've got quite a few to do. Some I will just refer to because of time. You, you're bright and clever, and you can work it all out. Uh, so I don't have to spoon feed you, but it's important that I bring the whole context over. So let's start with 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And it says, By his divine power, God has given us, has given, see the tense, has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received, look the tense, we have received all of this by coming to know him, The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous and glorious excellence. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Again, that word heavenly places does not refer to the place we sometimes picture as heaven. It refers to the unseen spiritual realm. That you host. That's why God says in his word. We are seated with him in heavenly places. You're already seated in heavenly places. You've already been blessed. With every spiritual blessing. In heavenly places. So those are the two fundamental scriptures. So let me say this therefore. Stop pleading. For what you already have. Believe for it. You don't have to convince God. He's already done it. The reason things are not working out for us is not because God is withholding something from us. Oftentimes we feel like that. I hear people in crisis. Why is God doing this? Why is he not? Why is he not? He has already done it. He wants us to walk in it. For that you have to apply your faith. All we need have been given to us more than 2,000 years ago. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to open up very briefly an understanding of the new covenant that we walk in. It's fundamental. Because the old and the new is not the same. Oftentimes as Christians, because of confusion, we live with a mixture of the two covenants. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read a scripture and I'm going to make Quick host of statements. I'm not going to preach them because that's a message. That's a series in itself. So what I'm going to do, I'm, I, I try to make it so concise. So bear with me. I'm not going to, I'm going to read them out. Because they're going to be statement after statement. And what are we going to establish for the purpose of the message this morning? Having faith in what God has placed within you. We need to understand The covenant relationship we have with God. That's how he planned and that's how he purposed it. Hebrews 8, verse 8 to 13, New Living Translation. Just to read easy. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with the ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I'll, put, I'll write them on their hearts. It's within I will be their God and they will be my people and they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It's now out of date and will soon disappear. So, listen to the following. The new covenant is not of a covenant between you and God. i say that again. The new covenant is not a covenant between you and God. It is a covenant between Jesus Christ and God. And you are the beneficiary. Very important to understand. You did not qualify to make covenant with God. You were a sinner. So the covenant is between the father and the son. And you are a beneficiary. Fundamentally important. Theologically. Jesus mediates the new covenant. He is our mediator. He stands between God and man. And brings the two together. We're going to celebrate it this weekend. Beautiful work of Christ. Under the Old Testament law. There was no mediator between God and man. On the one hand was a holy God, on the other hand was a fallen humanity. Between them stood the law and its requirements and its obligations. Under the terms of the law, if a man observed to do all that was written, God promised a blessing to come on that person. We know Deuteronomy 28. If a man failed to do all that was written, God promised curses would come upon that person as a consequence of breaking the law. So that summarizes it as the old. The new covenant requires a fundamental shift of thinking. That's why when Christ comes and he preaches, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is hand. That word repent means change your thinking, shift how you look at it. My kingdom is in your reach. And the new covenant is actually the constitution of the new, of the kingdom of God. That's how you should see it. So we should understand it, how it operates. Christians cannot relate to God in the same way people under the old covenant related to God. The difference can be seen by comparing a wage and a gift. I thought of the best simple way to explain this. The difference between a gift. And a wage is a fundamental one. It can, be defined, it can be defined this way. When you work, your employer responds with your wage. When a gift is given, the one receiving responds. In other words, it's the question who moves first and who responds. So the law was based on wages. Man worked and God responded. If man did what God required, then God responded with a blessing. If man did not what God required, God responded with a curse or a consequence. Under the new covenant, God gives and man responds. Can you see what has happened? When God gave Jesus, he was not responding to man. God moved first on his own initiative. That is what grace is. God moving on his own initiative. Not in reaction to what we have done. Under the new covenant, eternal life is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Healing is a gift. Everything you receive from God is not earned. It's a gift. Under the new covenant, God has already moved. And now it is upon man to respond in faith To receive from God. That's why it's wrong to say. How can a God of love send people to hell? Wrong question. How can man refuse such a great gift of eternal life? God moves. We respond. Listen to this therefore. Your faith does not move the hand of God. The hand of God has already moved 2,000 years ago. Our faith simply receives or accesses what God now offers as a gift. Do you get that? Like I said, I can't preach it. I am tempted to preach it. But I'm just presenting because it's fundamental in understanding because the topic for today is have faith. In what God has placed within you. So we oftentimes therefore think it's out there and I must just act just right to access it. So your faith does not move God. Your faith accesses what God has already done. You're a beneficiary. God has already willed it. So you have it, but you must believe for it. Amen. So let me give you one scripture to prove what I've just said, and that is Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. I read from the New King James Translation. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, not by your own works, therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel in one sentence, one verse. Verse 2. Through, listen to this, through whom? Christ. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. In which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Hallelujah. That was point number one. So let's go for point number two. So what is within me as a born again Spiritful Christian. Because I already said to you, everything God has given you is in you. So I think I'm going to most probably give you six or seven of those. Number one, Christ lives in me. Right? Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. If you're not somebody that has allowed Christ in your life, I would recommend that. I've done it 42 years ago, and my life transformed totally and completely. As a youngster, I was at Turkish University. in those days, come out of a religious background, lived a Nice, good life. Everybody thought I was saved because I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't go with the girls. So I was basically saved already. Religiously. But I was a lonely man, young man. And I found Christ in 1975. And I got filled with the Spirit. Got called to do what I do today. And transform my whole life completely and totally. I'm so grateful. Colossians 1 26 and 27. This message. Paul is a steward of. This message. This gospel. Of the kingdom of God. Was kept secret for centuries. And generations past. But now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know. That the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles, not just the Jews. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. So that's point number one. Have faith in the living Christ within you. I'll quickly tell you a story. It has been my motto for ministry and life. I heard early on in my walk with God of a story told by Reinhard Bunker. He was still a missionary in Lesotho. They went to go and buy an organ. In those days, you got an organ for the crusade. And he went to the furniture shop to buy an organ. The young man that was serving him looked at Reinhardt and the next moment broke down, cried, wept, and repented. And when he was asked what happened, he said, I saw someone look at me through Reinhardt's eyes. He saw Jesus through his eyes. And then I decided as a young minister, I'm not clever enough. I'm not convincing enough. But one thing I know, I have Christ in me. I was asked on my arrival there, I arrived in Namtata in 1987 and I passed it there for 10 years. On my first week, the ladies in the congregation arranged for me to go and have tea with a woman in town that was known as an atheist. And they set me up to go and convince her that God exists. Can you imagine? I'm just over 30 somewhere, and now I have to go and convince the atheist. She was a senior lady. And then I remembered my motto, what Ryan had said. And you know what happened? I had tea, and then when they had the tea, she pushed back. She says, okay, no, young man, convince me. And you know what I did? I took her hand like this. I said, look in my eyes. I said, I can't convince you. But what I can do, I host the living God. In me, his name is Jesus Christ, and he loves you. And she started to, tears ran down her face. I did nothing, I didn't say a word. And somehow the Christ in me started to melt her heart. That's who's within you, each and every one here. Your host, Jesus. The living, real Jesus. The living son of God. If you can understand that, and have faith in that, God can change the world. That's point number one. You can see it's a sermon, right? Number two. Father's love is in me. Romans 5, 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That love is agape. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's God's character, like was told us this morning. Joy is Christ. Love is Christ. So 1 Corinthians 13, in a couple of verses, gives 15 attributes of what love is. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is not this, is not this. It's this, is that. You are hosting within you agape. You don't have to work it up. It's the Father's love poured out in your heart. You can choose to walk in agape. We as Christians are groomed to think that we must choose between right and wrong, bad and good. But I want to tell you there's a third road. It's called love. It's love, walking in love. and explains that love can bear all things. Love can do all things. Love can believe all things. This love of God is poured out in your heart. Have faith in it. Then you can love the unloved. That's why God makes a demand on us and say, love your enemies. God is not expecting you to conjure up some weird feeling of love and compassion. He wants you to draw on himself in you. When he says, love your enemy." You have to walk in faith. You need to know and learn. It's walking in the supernatural of the love of God that's within you. Well, that's two. Three. The Holy Spirit is in me. 2 Timothy 1.14 Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. We receive this power. He's within us. Number four, God's kingdom is in me. Luke seventeen, twenty, and 21. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, they obviously thought of a political dispensation. He answered, he said to them, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. In other words, it's not like a political thing that's going to come. He says, nor will they say here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Heaven is within us. Can you imagine the day when Jesus came to the Jordan River, was baptized, and heaven opened? That's the day heaven came to earth. And when you received Christ... And he lives within you. He came with his kingdom. With his rule. You have to have faith. So that you can give him space. If you don't see this. You find difficult to overcome weaknesses and sin. Because you, you picture it out there somewhere. You always feel disqualified. A sinner. But when you realize who your host And the power within you, you overcome the very sin, the very thing you can't beat in your own strength. The God in you, the kingdom in you, the spirit in you overcomes. Have faith. It's a gift. Hallelujah. Five. I have spiritual gifts within me. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you, past tense, can you see that? From his great variety of spiritual gifts, use them well to serve one another. We are laden and packed with gifts here. Each and every one of us. Variety of gifts. It's all written in the Bible. Another sermon. Actually, another series. So you have God's gifts within you. Those gifts match your assignment. Assignment. You live here with a purpose. You're busy living out the kingdom of God. You're busy revealing the glory of God. Everything in you is God's goodness. When that goodness shows, his glory reveals. And people will glorify God. Your assignment, or let me put it this way, the gift in you matches your assignment. Believe God for it. Discover them, stir them in the body, help one another. I'll talk about that a bit later as we conclude. Then I'm also going to suggest to you that God's word is within us. Increasingly, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Let me give a tip to the worship team, and to all of us. When we sing here, we are not trying to create an atmosphere that is so cool for God that He says, today you've just met the mark. I will come with my glory. No, no. He says we speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What we are doing is we are unlocking the fountain that's within us. That's why the scripture says, spring up a well. Sing to it. Each of you have a well of the presence of God within you. And we should stir it up. So when we worship and we sing, and when we fast and we pray, we don't move God. We access, we actually open our eyes to see who we are and what we have. So the presence of God flows from out each and every one of us. That's why it says, come to me and drink. Streams of living waters will gush from your innermost being. So where do you think the presence of God comes from? It flows out of us. Because we host him. It's not a mystery. Sometimes we over spiritualize these things. So the potential here is. At home. At work. The presence of God. The living God that lives within you. If you can just see it and believe it. The kingdom will come. It will manifest all over. Wherever you go. Hallelujah. Okay, the last one is. Resurrection life is in me. Romans 6 verse 4 to 5. Therefore. We were buried with him. Through baptism into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead. By the glory of the father. Even so we also should walk. In newness of life. For if we have been. United together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. We have the life of Christ within us. Resurrection life. If I die, there's no concern because I already live. I already died with Christ. And I was made alive with Christ the day I gave my life to him. And I received him. So when I die, I just transition Out of a seen world into an unseen world. But I already have resurrection life. That's healing life. Regenerating life. That's when you speak to somebody. That word witnesses to them, ministers to them. And people come to Christ. Oftentimes because we don't know the power within us, we don't witness. We don't witness. We bung, we scared, we intimidated. We think that I have to somehow convince them I have to be a preacher. No. You just have to believe Christ is within you. You will touch them. You will touch them. You'll smile. You will just do what you do at work and wherever with that conscious understanding, Christ in me. Your marriage will change. The way you see people will change. The way you try to live your life will change. You will find true rest and true peace. True peace, you know, more have to do it in your own strength. Not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit of God, the Christ in me through me. That's why it says from him through us and back to him. Amen. Okay, that was the second main point. The first one was understanding covenant. Now you have to understand what's within you. So now I want to thirdly let you note a few things. As we're pausing for a moment, I just want you to consider the following out of this revelation. Number one, everything you receive from God is by grace. You know the scripture, by grace through faith. Not by works so that no man should boast. But this will reveal through your works the Christ in you. So everything you receive from God that's within you. Was by grace. That's why none of us compare. There's no room for haughtiness or pride. It's by grace. Point number one. Everything is by grace. Everything. That's why the biggest sinner qualifies. You know what's the saddest thing? Why people don't come to Christ? It's not because they don't believe he's God, it's because we feel so dirty. And so sinful, and we want to clean ourselves up and then come to God. I want to say, if there's somebody here today that you are far away from God and you feel so disqualified, I want to say to you, none in this room qualified by themselves. It was all grace. You come the way you are, you don't clean yourself up first. I'll just get myself better. You can't get yourself better. You're dead. You're incapable. Of saving yourself. You're incapable of changing your heart. It's by grace. Grace means God did it for free. He moved first. He waits for our response. That's the second point. Everything God placed within you must be activated through faith. This is what the Bible refers to as the seed of the kingdom. In the Bible, it refers to the seed as the word, but also there's a scripture that says the seed is the sons of the kingdom. You're a son and a daughter of the kingdom. Your life is a seed. And the power of the seed is the Christ in you. You need to activate it by faith. Number three, everything God placed within you has the potential to produce fruit. Everything that God has placed in you has the potential to produce fruit. Even the evil you allow will produce its fruit. But everything that God placed within you produces fruit. That's why we speak about the fruit of the Spirit. When there's love, joy, peace, it's just God in you producing fruit. It's not a list of things you do. It's the nature of God in you. Showing itself, that's the fruit. Some people think we're so transactional and legalistic. We think I must do this, I must live, I must this. And you can't do those things. It's a river that flows out of you because you acknowledge God is there and it's his presence in you that oozes out, called fruit. Amen. Okay, number four. You need a kingdom mindset. You need to say, God's will be done. You need to say to yourself, I'm not the end consumer. The reason why the faith movement and the prosperity movement went wrong. There was nothing wrong with the principle because it was all based on faith. But what happened was it twisted to for me, for my better life, for my greater car, for my better house. For my, What we should have done is to believe for the extension of the will of God to be done. So you have to have a kingdom mindset that says, I'm going to do this for the glory of God. I'm going to do this for God's kingdom to expand. I'm going to do this for God's will to be done, not mine. Don't be selfish. The fifth point I want to make here under that one, Christ in me and through me, it is not self-effort. Enter your rest. Let God come. Let God reveal himself. I'm reading Hebrews 4 verse 9 and 10. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his work as God did from his. Is fundamentally important. The last point under this heading talking about things that you should consider and know. Is what I learned out of my experience. What unlocks it. Is when I know how good God is. When I know that God is good. All the time. When I discover his goodness. I start to acknowledge. What's within me. If we don't see God as good. And we don't see, interpret him correctly. All that you have in you is just hidden. There's like a veil over it. But when you discover the absolute goodness of God, you will know what's within you is the manifestation of his goodness. And when you truly live out who you are in Christ, it's his goodness revealed. And his goodness is his glory. The glory is not. (laughs) The glory is God's goodness and his character. People will stand in awe when they see just this kindness and this love. And God says, my plan is this, that through my people, I want them to get this. And my goodness will come through them. And that's how my glory will fill the whole earth. Yes, God is present. God is not trapped in you. He's everywhere. But I want you to understand that God is within you. You are hosting. And you reveal through him, God also fills this place in his own presence. God is everywhere. So he's inside you and outside of you. If you're starting to get confused. I thought some of you are asking that question in your mind. So I thought I should just answer you. That's why it says in the books of Ephesians and Colossians, Christ in you and you in Christ. Okay, so picture that correctly if if you're trying to theologically work this out. Today we're focusing on Christ in you, all that God has placed within you. Okay, so I'm going to do a landing and I'm going to apply the message. Number one, you need to learn how to unlock this and ignite this. Number one, you need to believe and accept what God has placed within you. Right from the foundation of the earth. He wants you to unlock it. You know what I discovered of late? I really had a trouble sometimes. I think I had a serious poverty mentality. I could not understand why it's so hard to meet budget all the time. Why is it hard to, you know, to believe God for money and stuff and stuff I wanted to do? Until I got the revelation. I'm preaching about God in me and I discovered that God has already dis- assigned to me the portion of all my provision for the rest of my life. I don't have to convince him to give me a thing. He's already done it 2,000 years ago. As a matter of fact, before the foundation of the earth, he already decided what my life is all about. What I need, I need to learn to believe in. It's my poverty mentality. It's my orphan spirit heart that oftentimes keeps it away. I don't know how to access it. I don't have to stress. It's assigned. The check is signed. It's in heaven's bank. I need to access by faith and believe God for it. This goodness actually exposes one's own often heartedness. So, believe God for it. Number two, now I want to explain to you why prophecy is so important. Personal prophecy and prophecy and stuff. Prophecy is not always meant to tell you about the future. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, we should be quite scared of people that keep on telling you what's going to happen all the time. Because it's like normally 50-50 stuff, hit and miss. And we don't stone them when they miss it. But fundamentally, this is how I believe prophecy works in the church. When I prophesy over you, I pull out of you what God has placed within you already. I help you by the Spirit to see it. That's what we do. So when we prophesy over one another and say, this is what I see in you, it helps you. Because I already said it's within you, but we don't always know it's there. Fathers and mothers, you should be praying to know what God placed in your children. Prophetically, pull it out. Pull it out. That's why prophecy mainly, 90%, not a good feeling. What happens in churches, 90% of prophecy is to encourage the discouraged. Those who have bad identities in themselves. We say, God loves you, man. God has got a plan for your life and you feel good for three days. Then you need another prophecy. But if you can believe for starters, it's within me. We don't have to prophesy it. When we prophesy, we help you discover and pull out of you what is in there. Mothers and fathers, you should pray for your children. Don't just pray, Lord, be with so and be with so. Lord, show me. Let me see. Pull it out. Don't impart your own ambition on your child. Let the God thing in your child come out. Let the leaders in the church, the prophets in the house, and encourage that's why there should be prophecy. It edifies the body, it encourages the body, it pulls out, it reveals what's in there, and we stir it up, we ignite it, we unlock. We will change the world this way. Another thing I want to say is that we should encourage one another. It's the main function of the church. That's why we come together. That's why we're not just in our homes, in our workplace where we're already deployed. You're a deployed Christian anyway. Do you know that? You're deployed by God. You're already sent. You're a missionary, if you like it or not. Christ said, my father sent me, so I send you. You're all missionaries, and you're already deployed. Where are you deployed? At work, at home, and where you have your connections. Don't think ministries, I come to church, we am going to change the world through the church. We change the world through you, the church, where you deployed, with a Christ in you. That's how it works. That's what salt means. That's what light means. So we should encourage one another. When we come on a Sunday, we encourage one another. God's presence encourages us. Hallelujah. And then the last thing I need to say, and this is where I think Andre is stepping into now. I want to talk a little bit about the spiritual battle. When you know this, all hell breaks loose. Satan is not too worried about a sleeping child of God. He knows it's there, but please let nobody discover it. This is about territory. Internal territory and external territory of influence. So the internal, remember I said Christ within you. So the flesh is at war. The flesh would not allow to surrender to this revelation at all. Because it means it's going to lose control. I've discovered the following. In the church, in our lives, we fight two things mainly. We fight the flesh and we fight demons. A demon is a personality that attaches itself to a host. It's a guy who's given room. To anger because of bitterness and unforgiveness. Eventually a demonic force called a demon of anger attaches and becomes attached to a host. So it starts with the flesh. If you're not careful, it becomes a demon as well. So in the house, in the territory of your heart, we are fighting the flesh and we're fighting demons. But out there where your influence should happen, you're fighting principalities and powers. So at work, the Christ in you, the kingdom of God, you're going to come in conflict with a principality and a power. It will try to undermine you, discredit you, influence you, attack you, make you scared to pull back into yourself again. So I'm just going to encourage you today, don't lose the battle. The battle is worthwhile fighting. The stakes are too high. See, if you don't know, This revelation I taught you today, Christ in you, you will never understand what the battle is really all about. So you just give in. But if you know what I taught you today, the stakes are high and you know you'll overcome. So I close with James 4, verse 4 to 8. It's a bit hard, but here it goes. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, listen to this, powerfully, now you'll understand, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. Can you see that? The spirit, he yearns jealousy because he knows what's in there. He's jealous over it. He says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. you double-minded. So I'm wrapping up now. What did we say today? I basically said, have faith in what God has placed within you. I said to you that everything you need to live a complete, fulfilled, victorious life is already within you. It's given. It's given. Said so to understand the covenant. God did it for you. He moved. You must now respond. It's called faith. I shared with you what it is. I listed a few things. I reminded you that it's by grace through faith. I told you you recede. I told you you can reproduce. I said to us, let's ignite it. Let's stir it up. Let's prophesy. Let mums and dads unlock their children. Bring them to Christ. And Let God in them start to reveal. I also said to you, there's a war. There's a raging war. But you will overcome through Jesus Christ. Not in your own strength, but through Christ. Because he's your intercessor. What do you think he's praying for you? He's interceding on your behalf. May the Lord bless you.